Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. You know, there's a practical application to life that sometimes we just need to stop and just talk about. You know, you know, you come to church and you think, oh, pastor's going to be talking about money. It's about tithing. It's about giving. It's about offerings. Da, 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 da. And that is absolutely true. To participate in God's system of finances, you have to talk about tithes and offerings because that is where he's, the participation starts. And at the same time, we need to be wise with our money, wise naturally speaking with how we handle money. So that's why we've been talking about this. And it's, and it's good to learn it at an early age. Don't get yourself in a financial bind like, you know, some people do as we get older and into things. But, you know, we found ourselves in a culture where we, we come up with the idea. In fact, Pastor and I were talking about this last week after the service. And he said, you know, he said, you know, when you and I first got married, we, I mean, we just automatically just went, well, you've got to establish credit, so you've got to borrow. You've got, you've got to borrow some money. Well, we were young. I mean, we were like 17, 18 years old when we got married, and so nobody wants to loan us anything. But Sears decided to let us have a washing machine on a revolving account. Not a credit card, but a revolving account. Terrible interest, but we thought, well, we have to do this to establish some credit somewhere along the line. And so we did. Of course, we, we paid it. There was no problem with that. But, you know, we kind of grow up with, with the attitude that you've got to get into debt. You've got to establish credit. So the only thing you can do is, is get a credit card, you know, buy something on time, you know, do something. Do, you know, that's all well and good. And honestly, if you're going to buy a house eventually, you're going to have to have good credit rating to get a good interest rate. But Unfortunately, too many people go way beyond what they should in debt. And debt is bondage. It is bondage. I wrote myself a note on here for tonight, and I, and I put it like this. Um, lack is part of the curse from which we are redeemed, and debt is the enemy's avenue to bring us into the bondage of that curse. He will put us in situations and use our own tendencies sometime to pull us into the trap of debt. You know, and so we have to be careful. We have to be wise. We have to be very cautious about what we get ourselves, what we sign on the dotted line, you know, for. And so tonight we're going to be talking about some of these things. I think we're going to kind of try to finish this up tonight. Um, I just want to kind of go back and talk to you about budgets. You know, last week I said, you know, the, the thing before you can establish a budget is you have to know where you are. You have to know, you have to, you have to sit down with a list of how much you bring in and a list of what you already owe. And then you figure out, okay, you know, when do I get paid? I get paid once a month. I get paid twice a month. I get paid every two weeks. I get paid once a week. And you take those expenses and you plug them in to those paychecks. Because I honestly think, just like Dave Ramsey and, and Kira mentioned before, that you really need to have a zero-dollar budget. That means every dollar that's coming into your hand that you know about, which is your paycheck, you have it assigned somewhere. I told you this several years ago. We took, we started taking any raise that we got here and started putting it into savings. We, I was living on that already, so, you know, there's no point in me making any new debts. Let's just, let's just put it in savings. And that's been a real blessing to have. I remember the day when I sat down and went, I'm done with credit card debt. I am just done with it. You know, and I sat down and I, I looked at all these different things and I went, oh, my Lord, I didn't know it was that bad. This has been many years ago. And there was a decision made that day that, bless God, we're getting out of this. And it wasn't always easy. It wasn't fun necessarily. It wasn't fun getting out of it, was it, Kira? It wasn't fun. But I'm telling you what, the more daylight you see at the end of that tunnel, the happier you get. And it's great. So if you have a bunch of credit cards, tear them up. You need one, maybe two. Put all the gas cards aside. Put all the different store cards. Get rid of them. Just stop it. You know, you don't need all of that. Especially if, if you're a person who doesn't really handle credit really well, get rid of them. You should only have a credit card for an emergency. And an emergency is not, you know, some 
shoes on sale. That's not an emergency. That means like if you've got to replace tires on the car, that's an emergency. You know, or maybe you've got a doctor bill or like my crown fell off my tooth today or last night and I had to go get that fixed. That's more of an emergency type thing, you know, but a big sale does not constitute an emergency. Got it? So, uh, so anyway, you need, you need to take care of all the, and I think Kira mentioned this before, you know, there are things when you've got debts in place, if you've got, if you've made a decision, I'm getting out of this, you need to list your debts in, in from the start at the top with the very lowest thing you owe and list them in order of how much you owe them. It's not by how much interest they're charging, but how, how much it is so that you can pay off the top one. And everything you were putting into the top one now goes into the second one. What, you get that paid off, what, everything you put into the first and the second one now goes into the third one. It's called snowballing. And so you need to take care of those things. And listen, consolidation loans are not your answer. The only way they're your answer is if you stop making new debt. That's the only way it's an answer. To get out of where you are, if, if you've determined to become debt-free, the only way you're going to get out of it is to make no new debt. Period. Absolutely, that's it. You, know, you have zero tolerance for debt. You know, and so I've, I, I really just... I can tell you, because I've done it, is, is that it's not always easy. You know, there are times when your flesh screams, but I'm sick of eating beans and rice. I mean, I have a young couple that I know here in the church that, that found themselves in a financial bind, but they weren't going to go into debt. And so they wound up, you know, they found themselves eating beans and rice all the time until they got out of that. And, um, you know, sometimes it, it just takes a commitment to, I, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do what I got to do. You got to have a new pair of shoes. Well, you know, believe God for a sale if you've got to have a pair of shoes. You got kids, you know, and, they're, and they're, 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 their shoe is a size six, but their foot's a size eight. You, you got to do something, you know. So believe God. I mean, go down to, what is it? Is it WeCycle or someplace like that, you know, that's got some things you can buy? Their feet are going to grow so fast anyway. You know, they'll probably be out of those in no time. You'll have to do it again. They don't need $100 tennis shoes. Please, you know, I just, I just, I can't, I can't even handle the thought of $100 tennis shoes, even for me. I just can't. You know, I just think, I know that the garment industry, the markup is so high. I absolutely refuse to pay full price for anything that, that's clothing related. Because there have been times I have gone into a store and went, I love that dress. Oh, Lord, I love that dress. I am not paying that for it, though. So I believe when it goes on sale, there will be one on the rack in my size. And I've gone back and I've bought that dress on sale. You can put your faith in a lot of places, folks. And that's one of them. And so if you're going to get out of debt, you're just going to have to, you'll have to do some things like that. Um, let's say maybe you don't, you're not way over your head in debt, but you've got a car payment. Well, when you pay off that car, oh, now I've got all this extra money. No, no, no. shouldn't look at it that way. You should look at it as, okay, I was putting $300 into that car payment every month. Now that car is paid off. I've got $300. No, you have $300 to put in savings toward the next car you can pay cash for. So just because you get rid of something that, you know, okay, now I've got this. What happens when you have to have another car? How much are you going to finance? You know, it's that way with everything. If it's, if it's a consumer item that you know you're going to, uh, cars, folks, cars are depreciating items. They depreciate every single day. As soon as you drive it off the lot, it depreciates. I will not buy a brand new car. I'm not going to pay the depreciation. But I'll go down to Southeastern or Tomlinson, you know, buy a car with a, just a few thousand miles on it that the depreciation has already been taken care of. Now, that's a way to buy a car. So don't think you have to buy brand new. Not unless you get some kind of a fantastic deal that you need to tell me about. But there's not that many of them. So, you know, you have to think through some things and you have to avoid some things. But listen, here's one of the ways to avoid some costly expenses later down the line. Maintain the vehicle that you have. Maintain the home that you have. 
Don't say, well, it needs, it needs to be done and I'll, I'll get to it eventually. No, by the time you eventually get to it, then what was a small problem may have become a large problem. Um, it's interesting. I knew this, I knew this lady who had a, had a car and, and it was starting to act up. It was several years old. It was starting to act up and they, she took it in for somebody to look at it. And they said, when was the last time you had your oil change? And she went, oil change? Really? Uh, uh, I don't know. She had had that thing and she had not, tra- not had changed the oil in years. When they emptied the oil pan out, it was like it was sludge. It was amazing <coughs> that that car was even running. So, I mean, there are maintenance things that you need to do to avoid something that could cost you big bucks down the line. Same thing with your home. You know, when we sold our house two years ago, and we, we'd spent all those years, 16 years, renovating that house. And there was a few little things that we thought, okay, you know, we'll get around to this, we'll get around to this. And when it came time to sell the house, we went, okay, we better get to it. Those things we've been putting off. And it was amazing how much it added up to. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't, like, drastic or anything. In fact, PG said to us, what are you doing that for? I mean, nobody's ever going to know that you did that, that you did this or that. I said, that's the point. They won't know, but I'll know that I'm turning over this house in the very best condition I possibly could, and, and I've cleaned it to the max. And he said, nobody's going to know if you clean that sidewalk or not. I said, listen, if somebody comes along and sees that it's dirty and I didn't bother cleaning it, they're going to wonder what else I didn't do. Because, listen, I... Leslie can tell you, we looked at lots of houses. Oh, my word. And I would walk into houses going, did they know their house was on the market? Did they know that somebody was coming today to look at their house that they're trying to sell? Why is there dirty clothes in the floor? Why are there dirty dishes in the floor? You could have at least scrubbed the nasty fingerprints off of the door facing. I'm just, I'm just appalled at that kind of thing. If you'll maintain what you have when you go to sell it, you'll get the best price possible for it. You know, so it's just because somebody else maybe doesn't care, you should care. You should care about how you maintain your, your things. And it will save you lots of money down the, the line. Um, well, what do I do if, if you've you got to have some more income? Well, ask God to help you figure out ways to make money but listen to me, ways to make extra money that will not compromise your walk with him. Keep your priorities straight. Make sure it doesn't eat into the time that you were supposed to be giving to God, whether it's in attending church or just spending your, your own private prayer time with him, your own, your own study time. Uh, don't compromise in resources, don't say, well, I've got this going on and I'm, and I'm getting this going and, and i got to have this money and, well, I'll just take my tithe money this week and I'll put it into this new business that God's blessed me with. Don't do that. That's, that's not going to help you. So if, if you ask God to help you figure out ways to make money, he is not going to expect you to do anything that's going to compromise yourself at all, either in your priorities your integrity, your, your time with your family, with your natural family, with your spiritual family, with him. Uh, so, so there are ways to do that. You know, I, I remember somebody talked about witty inventions. You know, there are people out there that, that they just ask God, you know, God, you know, show me something. You know, sometimes little things that you never even thought about actually can become extremely profitable. Extremely. The guy who invented the chip clip? Come on. Really? It's, a, it's basically a glorified clothespin. And he's made millions off of that patent. That doesn't mean you can't make millions off something just as simple. But God's got ways. If you'll just trust him, he will lead you into, into ways for you to make extra money to help get yourself financially stable that you've never even, even considered. Again, stop spending on anything other than essentials. Take your raises, your extras that might come in. And number one, ask God, what do you want me to do with this? 
do you want me to, number one, you're gonna, you don't have to ask him about tithe. If you've got extra comes in your hand, you need a tithe. And then you say, now, God, what would you want me to do with the rest of it? Do you want me to pay bills with it? Do you want me to sow it? Sometimes he'll tell you to take every penny of some extra that came into your hand, and he'll say, you need to sow it into this person. You need to sow it into this project. You need to sow it into this ministry. You need to sow it. And if he does that, don't go, oh. Just say, yes, sir. You know, somebody who's a cheerful giver will say, absolutely, Lord, I'll do that. Because if he asks you to do that, he's setting you up for a bigger blessing down the road. I've seen that too often. Many's the time some extra came into my hand and I wound up just passing it on through to somebody else. You know, and, and, I, and I know a lot of you do the same thing. Uh, believe God for sales. Believe God for extra things to come to you. Believe God that, you know, maybe somebody just gives something to you that you need. You know, that's a possibility as well. Sell unnecessary replaceable items if you need to. Kira, you talked about selling a vehicle. Now, two vehicles for most of us is an absolute essential. But they decided that wasn't necessary, as necessary as they thought it was. They sold a vehicle. Y'all managed on one vehicle, right, for a while. That green, what is he, what'd you call it? The green booger? Yes, the green booger. You know, every time I see it, I go, that's the ugliest green I've ever seen. <laughs> but it's cheap. <laughs> the cheapest car you will ever drive is the one you currently own. You know, when we, when we first came to High Springs, we had a blue Volvo that we had bought. It was, it was, I think, a 1974 Volvo. We got here in 1980. We had that car, and we kept that car, and we kept that car. We got sick of that car about three or four times and then realized it was the cheapest car around. I mean, put a little money into it to do whatever it needed to do to maintain it, to bring it back up to speed, get that, keep that thing on the road. It was great. When we finally sold it in 1989, our Steve was off at college, and we said, guess what, Steve, when he called home. Said, guess what, Steve, we sold the blue Volvo. He goes, no, that's like selling Greg. Because <laughs> we had had that car for so long. You know? But listen, that's, that's not a problem. You know, pastor's driving a, a vehicle that's perfectly fine, but it's 13 years old. You know, that's, that's just fine with us, you know, but not for much longer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure he gets something after we get moved into this house. You know, he gonna, he's going to replace it. But there's nothing wrong with it because he's maintained it. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't look at it and think, well, that's a 13-year-old car. No, it's not. But that means maintaining something. You know, um, if, it's, if it's replaceable and it will bring some income in to help get rid of debt, sell it. Don't form an attachment a sentimental attachment to material things. You know, it doesn't help you. You know, you, you can easily let go of something that you don't have some kind of attachment to, not even the blue Volvo that, that was like selling Greg. You know, it, not even that. You know, and, and listen to me. If you need some extra income, go to your job and look and see if you need to adjust your withholding so that you have more spendable income in your pocket from day to day. Yeah, but I won't get a tax refund. The U.S. government is not your savings plan. They don't need to be holding on to your money for a, almost a year. You're not getting anything out of it. And what should happen, now fortunately we don't live in a state that has state income taxes, so this wouldn't apply necessarily in Florida. But there were people in other states like California they pay state income taxes. What happens to the person who let them take a whole bunch out thinking they're going to get a refund come tax time? And the government, the state of California, can't pay them. They've had your money, and now you're not going to get it back anyway. Stop that. Don't, don't let the government, don't, don't count on your taxes becoming your savings plan. That's not the place to, if you're going to save it, take it. Adjust your withholding, take that money, go put it in a savings account. Hallelujah. Um, listen to me. Record keeping is an essential part of your financial life. Proverbs 27, 23 says, Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and look well to your herds. 
That means keep up with stuff. Have some records in place. Have a definite place to put receipts, all your financial papers, all your warranty info, all your tax returns, anything you might need for a ta- to prepare for a tax return this year. You, you have specific places that you can go to and put your hands on immediately. That means when you come in with those receipts, you just don't throw it on the couch. Throw it in a bowl somewhere. You go put it where it needs to go. We, uh, as ministers, we have quite a few options, you know, of things that, that, that we can deduct off of different things. And, and so I keep, I keep receipts for everything. I mean, I got a receipt. I've got files. I've got all this stuff. You know, it goes in there. I have a log book. I log it in. I don't even have to go back and get the receipt out at the end of the year because I've got a log book that's all entered in. We had a friend that we were at his house a number of years ago. And uh, we got to talking about this kind of stuff. And uh, he said, well, yeah, we have a receipt that, that would apply in that area. I just throw it in this. We got this, we got this basket up there on the refrigerator, and I just throw it in the, up there. And at the end of the year, I just kind of look through it a little bit and go, well, that's probably about so-and-so, about this much. And so that's what we use. And I'm going, oh, what? Are you kidding me? You just look at it and guess what might be in there? What is your problem? Don't do that. I'm afraid there's a lot of people who do that kind of bookkeeping, that kind of record keeping. Stop. Actually know what you've got and know where to put your hands on. What happens if you've got something that's a warranty item but you can't locate the receipt? Now you're going to have to go buy it and pay for it yourself instead of getting it replaced for free. So, so don't do that. Uh, balance a checkbook. How many of you don't have a checkbook? And the actual check register? Please. Now, you know what? I, 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 the digital age is wonderful, but honestly, I want hard copy. I personally want hard copy. What happens when that thing gets lost or stolen or damaged, just crashes? You know, what happens if you've got no paper copy? I'm a person, I've got to have hard copy. It might be on digital, but I'm going to have a hard copy of it somewhere. So, you know, you might need to consider that, that you need a hard copy of, of, your, of your expenditures and what's coming in, what's going out. If you have a bank account, understand that if you go to the ATM or to the teller, bank teller, and you ask to find out what your bank balance is, that that may not be accurate. Because the bank's not going to stand there and tell you which of your checks have not cleared yet, which of your debits has not cleared yet. They're not going to tell you that because they don't know. It's your place to know. There was, there was somebody from, uh, that, w- that came to church here that was constantly writing a check to the church that was bouncing. I mean, it was just like every time I would see that check come in through the offering, I'd go, okay, is this one going to be any good? I, I, you know, let's, okay, let's try it and see. You know, she spent more money in check charges than it was, it was ridiculous. You know why? Because she'd go up there to the, to the ATM and she'd get this little thing out that said what her bank balance was. And so she'd go spend money based on what that thing said her bank balance was. And for some reason, I could never get her to understand, you can't trust that. that that's not that's not, how, that's not what your bank balance probably is. And yet she would do it repeatedly and would bounce checks all the time. And so she was paying lots of money in check charges because they were bouncing. Um, it's not always a good idea to have your accounts, if you've got a savings account, tied so that you have overdraft protection because you might wind up eating yourself out of house and home that way. You need to consider these things. Um, Hallelujah. I'm going to stop long enough. Dan is going to come up here and give us about 10 minutes or so. This is for people who are in their, what what do you think, 50s and 60s maybe? You know, you younger people may not think this applies to you, but it would probably help for you to, to understand some of these things. It has to do with Social Security. So, you know, Dan nor I claim to be experts in the field of money management, but we... We, we, we don't claim to be, but we, we do have experience on our side. And uh, he's done some research. Let me give you this one, Dan, instead of that one. These are some things that you might need to know about this area of Social Security. And then I'm going to come back and we got some more things. The, the reason why I think even young people should listen is uh, 
Pastor Angela said this a week or two ago, that if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And Social Security is, is complicated, but it doesn't have to be complicated because all you really have to do is figure out how does it apply to me and what my particular situation is. When I was uh, 55 years old, that Social Security used to uh, send out annually statements, and I would get a statement. And I'm looking at it, and I'm a pretty smart man when it comes to math. And I realized I don't have a clue how this thing works. So I won't tell you I spent the last 15 years figuring it out, but I've spent a lot of time, and, and I pretty much have concluded that most people potentially leave money on the table and don't even know it. And I'm going to walk you through some scenarios and just, you know, and it basically is, is understanding what your situation is, okay? Um, to begin with, Social Security has a website that um, even young people, you ought to get on and open up an account for you because that account will show your history of what you've earned. And what you've earned determines what you get. And I'm going to explain that in, in a little bit. Um, basically, Social Security is not a cookie cutter for everybody. My wife, you know, when I was raising a family, I was the, the breadwinner and Mel stayed at home. But there's, there's people that to, uh, husband and wife work. There's uh, people where the husband makes a lot of money or vice versa and, and the, the other spouse doesn't. We have people that are divorced. We have people that are widows or widowers. All those circumstances, if you just take the time to, you know, research that little part of Social Security and understand the rules, then you put yourself in a position to maximize. Let me give you some examples. Um, well, let me give you some basic facts first. The average Social Security benefit today is about $1,400. Um, today, at 62, that's the typical age that people tend to retire. 48% of women retire at, 40, 40, at 62, and 42% of men retire at 62. That may or may not be your best financial decision. I mean, if you, if you have health problems or if you have to take care of a loved one or if you uh, have dependents, maybe that is the best choice. But if you don't have those uh, issues in life, I'm going to try to walk you through tonight real quickly of what it is you can do to determine what is the best course of action for me to take. If you retire at 62 and your full retirement age is 67, which for the most part is everybody in here, you get a haircut of 30%. So if you think you're getting $1,400, you're not getting $1,400, you're getting less than $1,000. And you get that for your entire life because once you start the program, that's, that's where you are. Um, Social Security, when you get in this website, one of the things it does for you is it lists how much you've made each year. And what Social Security does is they take your best 35 years, your best 35 years. So if you started work at 20 and retired at 67, you have 47 years to get to your best 35 years. Now, everybody's situation is different. You have housewives who stayed home and raised their children. You have people that started a career and then went back to school. You have people who uh, perhaps went into business. And if you, typically what happens when you're in business, it takes you a while to, to where you start making profits. So there's a good chance that uh, you could start a church and not necessarily have great income. But... As a general rule of thumb, you should, before you make a choice to retire, you should say, have I done the best job I can to maximize my 35 years? For instance, if you worked 30 years and you averaged 
say $2,500 a month in income, $30,000 a year. But you have five years that you stayed home raising children and you got a zero. That $2,500 is now $2,142. And that's what Social Security winds up paying you on. So my question is, would you and could you, if you knew that information, would you say, I'm not going to retire at 62, I'm going to retire at 67 and replace those five years that are zeros with typically, in most people's case, the best income that you're making. Typically, towards the end of your career, you've, you've maxed out and you're, you're, you're making as, as good a money as you probably ever have, have made. At least that's probably the case in most people. I went through a scenario of... Of um, well, I'll use Jay for instance. Jay's 28, and um, Jay graduated in 2010. Yeah, oh, in 09, he uh, started school. Uh, then he, uh, he got a part-time job at Shands. He graduated from UF, and then he worked uh, two or three years, and now he's in graduate school. So Jay's 28, but Jay doesn't have a lot of income. I, you know, I asked Jay, what do you think he averaged? And he said, during that time period, I averaged uh, $20,000. Well, Jay's, you know, when he graduates from uh, uh, graduate school and becomes a PA, he's going to be in position to having a good income. But if he retires at 62, what he's going to have is he's going to have 32 years of good pay and he's going to have three years of not so good pay. And the advantage of going online to where your Social Security is, if you look at your years and you may have forgotten, gee, I stayed home for 10 years and raised children. And yeah, that was, that was good, but I got 10 zeros in there. You know, would you, could you, would you decide to change, you know, how you do it? Now, in Jay, I'll use Jay as an example. I did the math on, on Jay. And if Jay said, okay, I'm going to replace my three bad years, in some cases it could be five bad years. And uh, to, to Jay, it was worth $2,000 a year or more in Social Security benefits. And if you say, I'm going to, okay, from 67 till I'm going to live until actuarial, say, 85, that's worth $35,000 to people. I think in most cases that people potentially could walk away from that kind of money because they didn't understand how it works. Let me give you the, the, the basics. Work 35 years if you can. Maximize those 35 years if you can. Understand if you're, if you're starting work at, at 20 and you're retiring at 67, you got 47 years to come up with the best 35 years. If you only work 30 years, you got 30 years of, of value and you got five years of zeros, and that, that really hurts. The other advantage of doing that is, is to, the longer you work, it, um, you get a, a, a premium bonus. Now, my personal opinion, I don't think retirement age is 62 or 65 or 66 or seven, 67. I personally think it's 70. The reason why I say that is, Every year that you retire or choose to draw benefits before uh, you, you draw Social Security that's less than 70, you're getting an 8% haircut. 8% times uh, 8 years is, it winds up being almost 72% difference between taking a retirement benefit at 62 and taking a retirement benefit at 70. Does that make sense, you know? So you have two things working for you. If you can stay later in life and work and enjoy it, you get an 8% premium. And Jay's comment to that to me was, the only thing it costs you is patience. Is patience of not, taking it, not being enticed into taking it at 62 or 63, of taking it as late in the game as you can. There's a lot of people that don't like annuities I don't like annuities because typically they, it's a fixed rate and uh, may sound good this year, but five years from now, maybe not so good. But Social Security 
not taking Social Security and either working or drawing on other benefits is like buying an annuity that gets you 8% return and is adjusted for inflation. That's huge. You can't get an annuity like that. There is no annuity product like that. So anyhow, those are my brief comments on it. Um, I think for most people, it's worth $35,000 at least if you live into your 80s. Um, you know, there's other, I'll quickly go through. There's widow benefits, there's spousal benefits, there's dependent benefits. Take the time to educate yourself on that so that you say, yeah, I did the best job of maximizing exactly what I can get. And it'll, it'll pay thousands of dollars for you, I'm convinced. So, thank you. Just wanted to give you an opportunity just to hear some things about that. You know, the key is what Dan said, is to educate yourself on that. And really, you know, you can check things out yourself. I mean, there you have lots of options, lots of opportunities online to check things out. Go to people, you know, that have experience in what you're, what you're needing to find out about. It. Find out what they know. You know, if you have a financial advisor, you know, great, do that. Uh, you guys, if your parents are great at this kind of thing, great, you know, use them as a resource. But listen, getting wise counsel from people is... Um, a good place to navigate financial matters. But listen to me. Go to people that don't necessarily have the most money, but who make the most of the money they have. Okay? People are at different levels financially, but you want to go to people who, who can actually steer you in a place. They're making the most of what they have. That's the key. Not somebody who's amassed amount amount of money, but who makes the most of what they have. That's the person you want to talk to. It's amazing to me how sometimes people will say, well, I, I went and talked to so-and-so, and I'm thinking, why did you do that? No, 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 no. Somebody, I, I, somebody else would have been a better choice, you know, to have gone and asked them about financial matters. You know, so go to people who know something, who exhibit it, who experience, who are living it, and go to them about that. Um, there's something I, we were talking before Dan came up about, about record keeping. But let me ask you, does anybody here know what a love box is? A love box or a love drawer? Anybody ever heard that term? Okay. This came from, um, I forgot his name. He's, he's passed away, but he was big into financial matters. But anyway, a love box is a place, it doesn't have to necessarily be a box, it is a place that you have compiled all of the pertinent information that somebody would need if you died. You say, well, I'm 35, I'm not going to die. How do you know? Mark Bauer, what happened just a little while back? How, how long ago was that? Four years ago, what exactly happened? He had a seizure at age. At age 33, he had a seizure, and it was a heart arrhythmia issue, wasn't it? And was clinically dead. And if Mike had not been home that day and heard him hit the floor, there is no way of knowing whether Mr. Mart would be here tonight. Do not assume that just because you're young that it's not going to happen to you. Jenna was in a major accident six years ago. The devil tried to take her out. And thank God he watched over her. And what if you saw her vehicle, this person, you know, ran her off the road uh, almost head on, wasn't it? And... If you saw the car that they peeled her out of, had to use the jaws of life to get her out of, nobody should have survived that accident. So you can't ever say to me that, you know, well, I, you know, that's not going to happen to me. You need to have something in place, whether it's a particular place in your home, in your file cabinet, in a safe deposit box, uh, in a locked fireproof box that contains things like insurance policies. Uh, Social Security information, 
information about your bank accounts, retirement accounts, um, social security stuff, debts, who you owe, how much you owe, the account numbers, uh, passwords to some of these these places. So many of us are, are getting things right now because, because we're being pushed into the digital age that they don't want to send you paper copies of anything anymore. They want to email it to you. Well, if nobody knows your passwords and something happens to you, they have no way of accessing your passwords. They have nowhere to get it from. This is lost. There was a man traveling. This has just been in the last few weeks. Uh, a man traveling abroad who suddenly was taken ill and died. He was the account manager for millions of dollars of cryptocurrency and nobody knows how to access that money. Is the, I mean, I was just like, ah! Millions, I'm talking hundreds of millions of cryptocurrency and he was the only one who had the password to get in to the system. That is not smart. So you need to make sure that there's some place safe. You need to let somebody know where it is, where to find it. Um, you know, I, I know, I know some people who like to stash cash. Don't put it all in the bank. If you're going to stash some cash in some places, you need to have a list somewhere telling somebody where that cash is. I'm reminded of Pastor Nancy's dad. He was a farmer, and he just he didn't trust banks. And so, and so he, I mean, he had, over the years, had amassed quite a you know, considerable amount of money. But he was stashing money in all these different places all the time. And when he died, his other daughter, not Pastor Nancy, but his other daughter, he had kind of pretty much told her where to find all this, all this cash. And when she went, after he passed away, and gathered it all together and took it to the bank, I want to say it was in excess of $300,000. Oh, my word. You know, somebody needs to know where that money is. Have you ever considered the fact, I mean, just, I mean, you know, you, some of us are old enough that our parents, you maybe have passed away. In dealing with their finances after they passed away, how easy did they make it for you to deal with the business that had to be dealt with? We need to make it easy for our children you know, if we're, you know, we've got kids. fact is, if your children are young, you need to make provision in that box for somebody to take charge of raising your children. You need to make sure before, they, before that that they are, they've agreed to that. <laughs> make sure they agree. <laughs> but you need to have some documentation that if something were to happen to you, that your minor children would be raised by so-and-so. You need to make sure that all your insurance policies, all your retirement accounts are up to date on who the beneficiaries are on this. Did you know you can go down to your bank and you can sign a document making someone else the beneficiary of your checking account or your savings account? When someone dies, unless that's in place, that money is frozen frozen until a will is done, every probate's over, all that. If you have somebody listed on your account as the beneficiary, not their name is not on the account. They cannot come in and and do transact business unless they have power of attorney. They cannot transact any business. They can't have access to that money until you die. My sons are on my checking account and on my savings account. Their names are on our safe deposit box at the bank. So they can go, all they would have to do if something happened to us is they would go in, they would take a death certificate and some identification and their signature was matched what the bank has, that money is theirs. There is no probate. There is none of, none of that. You need to make sure these things are in place. Another way if you have a home that you have a mortgage on, when you go to, in fact, this is what we, we will be doing when we actually sign our final mortgage on, on, the, on the house that we're building, convert it from construction to, to an actual mortgage, is there something, there's another name for it, but it's a common name. And Leslie, if you know what it is, you can tell me. It's called a ladybird deed that you put someone's name on that mortgage that they become the beneficiary of that property if something happens to you. That means there's no probate. 
That means there's no long, drawn-out anything. You have their name as the beneficiary. It's called a ladybird deed. It's a, it's a colloquial name. There is another name for it. What? Okay, well, what do you know what it is? They, what? A qu- is it a quit claim? Is it a quit? No, I don't think it's a quit claim. There was another name for it that they told me about when we were talking about this and we did the construction one. I'm not sure what it is, but, but you're, you know, anybody would know what that is. There are ways to help make this an easy transition if something happens to you. And you should have that in place at all times. Have something somewhere so that somebody, if had, they had to take care of your financial affairs because you're no longer here, that they would have easy access to anything and everything that they would need to do to translate. But make it so that if it's your children, that they um, don't have to pay so many taxes and go through so much rigmarole. Making them the beneficiaries on checking accounts and savings accounts, you know, is one of the best things. Usually we only think of beneficiaries on like life insurance policies. But you make them a beneficiary, and it's a very easy thing. Just go in, you know, get the paperwork at the bank. You know, you have, you know, you sign it, they sign it, so it's all already in place and uh, ready to go should something happen to you. Um, I did want to talk about this. Be careful when you loan money to others. You know, sometimes we want to help somebody out and we want to loan them some money. That's a good way to lose a friend. So if you ever do that, make sure right up front that everybody understands this is a loan. And let me tell you this, never loan what you cannot afford to give. To me, it's the time that somebody wasn't able to pay it back. If you can't afford to give it to them, don't loan it to them. But if you're going to loan somebody something, you need to have some clear-cut and very defined terms of this loan. And the Bible in Proverbs talks about and in fact, is go with me to Proverbs 6. There's several places it talks about being surety for someone else. That is co-signing. I do not recommend co-signing on a loan for anybody. Um, the only exception to that is my children. You know, we uh, actually, we didn't actually co-sign a loan for them. We bought a car that was in our name, and they paid half the payment, and they took care of the maintenance and the insurance, and the gas, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it was still in our name. And as soon as we, that was paid off, it was a good lesson to teach them how you manage your money, how you take care of things. It's amazing. Suddenly, when they had a car, it was, it has to be washed every weekend. How about washing mine every so often? And now it was, you took my car, you borrowed my car, and you drove it, and you, and you used up this much gas. Hello? You know, that gas wasn't important when you were driving my car, you know. But, but that, we never co- actually co-signed. It was, it was a loan that was ours, but they paid half of it. That was part of their graduation present, is that we paid half, they paid half. Listen, they will not value something unless they have to invest something in it. That is typically the case. But don't co-sign for people. Proverbs 6, verse 1, it says, My son, if thou be surety, which is co-signing, for your friend, if you have stricken your hand with a stranger, you are snared with the words of your mouth. You are taken with the words of your mouth. That means you're responsible. You can't look at, well, I just co-signed for a loan. You, you made a loan. Now you're in debt. The way legally they look at it is that that debt is every much as, as much yours as it is theirs. They've said, oh, I'm just co-sign, you know, and I'll pay, I'll, be, I'll pay it. You don't have any problem. You can trust me. Those are famous last words. Down in verse 3, it says, do this now, my son, and deliver yourself. When you have come into the hand of your friend, go humble yourself and make sure your friend. That means if you happen to have co-signed for somebody who is your friend, you make sure they stay your friend until that loan is paid. You make sure you keep close contact with them and maintain a good relationship with them so they don't just suddenly go, done, I'm out of here, you know, I'm just going to leave them holding the bag. That's happened, okay? Now, husbands and wives work together on financial issues. Finances would be one of the things that causes divorces in a lot of house. 
households. Don't hide things from one another. It seems that, you know, the way things kind of go is in every house there's one person who is the financial manager and the other one who goes, oh, it's no big deal. Uh, no. You really both need to be aware of what the, what, the, what the bills are and where the money's going and what you've got to work with. Don't hide things from one another when you purchase them. I, I know somebody whose husband would come home every once in a while. He was a big purchase, a big purchase. And he would kind of hide it in the barn out back until a few weeks had gone by. And then just kind of, you know, they were out there. She'd go, what is that? Oh, yeah, I got that a while back. That might work with a pair of shoes, but that does not work with a big, you know, vehicle. Okay, that doesn't work. Um, you need to be on the same page. Little things may not be a big issue, but it starts with little things. Don't ever make a big purchase without the other person involved if you're married. My dad did that to my mom. Of course, that was back in a day, you know, where, you know, man makes all the decisions. He came home, you know, he had decided to, to, to buy this particular car. My mom's going, uh, okay. You know, I mean, all right. And then one day he came home, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, gonna buy this piece of property out in the southern end of Jacksonville. Never even discussed it. And I'm just going, I, I don't get that. You know, that was just, you know, the era they were raised in, I guess. I don't know. But that's not the way it ought to be. Do not, if you're, if you're single, listen to me. If you're single and you get engaged, you do not mix your money until after you've said, I do. Don't do it. A, a pastor friend of mine, his daughter, his oldest daughter, had been dating a guy for like six years. They'd gone to high school together. They'd been gone through college together. I mean, they were, they'd been dating and, and they'd been, I mean, they were exclusive, you know, relationship with each other all those years. And a few, and they had, they had their money, their money was all put together and, and the bank accounts were in both their names and they bought things and, and all this kind of stuff. And about six weeks before the wedding, he called it off. So do not, if you're single and you're going to get married, do not mix your money until I do's have been said. And when I do's have been said, the philosophy we should take is what's yours is mine, what is mine is yours. I find it very, I struggle to understand marriages where, well, he pays this and this and I pay this and this. What happened to those joint accounts? What happened to that? Isn't that what marriage is? We became one. We didn't just become one in, in, in one sense. We became one in every sense. And that includes money. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't understand that. But there's a lot more of that happening than what, I, than what I can even believe sometimes. But you need to get on the same page. You need to get on the same page with your giving. You know, there, there are some times when, when one person is just gung-ho to, to give and to do I mean, I'm not talking about tithing. I'm, that both of you ought to be on the same page there. But maybe in, in a project that's going on, uh, I, I remember somebody who came to me years ago. We were having some project going on. Maybe it, had, maybe it was the land that we were buying, you know, the land that we're currently on. And, 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 and one person had, had, had man, they were all gung-ho to, to give this much. And the other, the other spouse came and said, I, I'm just not there. I, you know, I just, I just can't, I just can't, I just can't see it. I'm just, I'm not the same place that, that my spouse is out with this. And, and I'm finding myself resenting every time we give that money. Don't get to that place. Be in a place of agreement with what you do with your money. It's not healthy for a marriage to have one person going, yeah, but I believe in God and I'm doing this. No, the other person has something to do. You're walking through life together. You put, need to put your faith together. And if one person isn't there yet, then back off, for goodness sake, and, and come up. We all need to understand that there's a measure of faith that we, we learn to grow in. I, I was thinking about tonight's message earlier uh, today, and I was thinking about cars. I don't know much about cars. I know there are four-cylinder cars. I know there are six-cylinder cars. I know there's eight-cylinder cars. I know that a six-cylinder has more power than a four, and an eight-cylinder has more than a six or a four. You know, it's kind of like walking spiritually. You start off as a four-cylinder, 
And the more you grow, the more power is in your life and the, and the faster you can go and the more you can do, the more performance God can get out of you. But when one cylinder starts missing, it affects everything. No matter if you're four, six, or eight. So you need to be on the same page. You need to be hitting on all cylinders as a married couple. You need to make sure that you're in agreement about the things that you do financially, especially where big purchases are concerned. You know, I mean, there have been times when we have, we have saved each other going, I, I know you want that, but I'm just, I, just, I, I just don't think that's a good idea. It's time to take a step back and reexamine those kind of things. Don't put a marriage in jeopardy over money. Okay? Um, I'm over, but I, I, I want to get through with this. So um, give me just another couple of minutes. Um, we're supposed to live out of heaven's economy, out of heaven's economic system. But part of that is being wise in the natural economy, but not bound by it. We need to be wise in natural finances, but not bound by it. Do you hear me? A budget and managing our money here is, a, is just a way to keep things in perspective so that God can talk to us. We can know where our faith is. We can know where our faith level is. We can know, we can know these a lot of different in pieces of information because we do that and then expect God to talk to us. And then success in your life financially is in, dependent on your, being ability, on your ability to hear and to be open to hear God, and then to act on what he says to do. Uh, unless you're specifically directed to do something else, you should always maintain sound financial principles, natural sound financial principles. God will sometimes speak to you and tell you to do something that seems like it just is totally opposite to what sound financial principles would say. If God's talking to you and you know without a shadow of a doubt it's God, then you move on it. If not, you better, you better hold off. Um, okay. I think we'll stop. Um, well, I mean, do say this, just this last thing. If you're in debt, don't hide from your creditors. Get a credit score often. Know where you're at. There, is a, there was a uh, nonprofit group several years ago. I know they've changed the name. I do not know what the current name is, called Consumer Credit Counseling that you could go to. It was, it was basically a Christian organization that you could go to. You could sit down with them and bring them all your debts and everything, and they would help work with you, be a go-between between you and, your, and the people that you owed money to to help formulate uh, a payment plan. Those people are still out there, but I just don't know what their names are. But don't run from debt. Don't run from creditors. You know, if you're up front with them, they'll give you favor. You know, and you can believe God for favor. Somebody a number of years ago, you know, was, was over their heads in debt with, with several different kind of consumer credit, you know, kind of debt things. And they went to, to, their, to, these, to the different places that they owed money. And the places that they owed money to made them an offer. If you can pay this much, we'll forgive the rest. They, God provide a way for them to get the money that they needed to do that. Wiped out that debt. And then they paid back the place, the source that they got that money from really quickly. And it was a blessing. So God can work with you. But, you know, you got to just do what Rayleigh and them did. They were working with the hospital, doing everything they could to formulate a plan, to make payments to them, to get it taken care of. And God intervened. When some preacher gets up in the pulpit and tells you that you can all believe in supernatural debt cancellation, you run out the door. <laughs> run out the door. That's somebody who's after your money. I'm sorry. They are. Uh, that's not a guaranteed. You can believe God for favor. You can believe God for wisdom. You can believe God for a lot of things, but you cannot believe for, for supernatural debt cancellation. There is no such thing. So anyway, we'll start with there. I trust this, this last few weeks have been a blessing to you. Um, like I say, I'm not an expert, but if you have questions, if you have, you want to sit down and let's just figure out a, a budget together, I'd be happy to help you anytime, anywhere. So anyway, practical things make an impact on spiritual things. I want you to be free from what the enemy has set up as a trap for you. I want you to be able to sleep at night 
Not stay awake because you're in debt up to your eyeballs. I want you to be free to do what God has for you to do and what he talks to you about doing. And part of it is being naturally wise. But that wisdom is not natural. That wisdom really is supernatural. And then be able to uh, tell your flesh what you're going to do once you obtained that wisdom and that knowledge. And then do it. It's God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And his good pleasure is for you to prosper financially and never be in worry, never be in fear, never be in dread when it comes to At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.